0: The songs were um, perfectly chosen today. I know I gave a little bit of a heads up last week when I said this is the second half of of the lesson. So I appreciate those songs that uh, Nathan chose. And we're looking at this first, uh, the second part of our lesson, Who Wants to Be a Winner? Taken from 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. And let's go ahead and just read that because it's... Um, It flows out of the song that we just sang. Technical difficulties right now. All right. Uh, But let's read this together. There we go. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. You know, and I was thinking since the previous week about how we we love to win, and nothing is more depressing than losing. We don't like to lose. Uh, I think I share with you the the very last race of my college career I came in second. I didn't like coming in second. <laughs> I wanted to win that race, and it was it was disappointing and here. Five years later, after my college, or whatever, 40 years later, I don't even know how, I'm not going to count. A long time later, decades later, still thinking about that second place win, win, instead of that first place win. Matthew and I have been coaching, my son Matthew and I have been coaching baseball for his oldest son, Kai. He's one of on the left jumping up and down in that picture, and that's uh, up top is... The the coaches, uh, you know, really into their, you know, thinking about what our next play is going to be. And we've been doing this for the last two years. I love coaching coach pitch ball, those young ones, those seven, eight-year-olds. You know, when they first come out, they have no clue what to do. And it's, it's, I just love this. (laughs) They're out there in, in, in the outfield and they get distracted by grass, by, by birds. And it's so fun watching the ball get actually hit to them, and they they don't know what's coming at them. You know, they just it just rolls by them, and we're screaming out as loud as we can, I "Get the ball! Get the ball!" And and then you watch them develop into learning how to win, and learning how to lose, and the excitement that they get when they get that that out. Sometimes the winning that winning uh, uh, out that wins the game for them or that that hit that that brings in the winning run, and we see them do this and it's just it's uh, it's amazing and it's fun um, but as we look at those wins and losses and we apply these we looked at last year, last week how sports just you know comes into winning and overcoming and and victory uh, that in life. Spiritually speaking, it's not all about coming in first. You know, I think we come here today with all sorts of situations in our life. And I'm I'm acutely aware that many of you come in here not feeling like you are a winner. And we're going to talk about feelings in a little while. That you've experienced some defeats this week and some struggles this week. And you need some encouragement. That's why you're here right now. But victorious living isn't always coming in first. Sometimes it means simply, I saw a thing through to the end. I completed the task ahead of me. And we finish sometimes beat up. We are hurt emotionally. We're tired of the fight. But the scripture says we're victorious. In this last lesson, we looked at Last week, Christians are victorious. And what has happened in our past when we entered into what this, this abiding relationship that we talked about in the, in the scriptures, this abiding relationship that John often talks about, it has present results. We, something happened to us when we became Christians. We came into this relationship with him, and the results of that goes on in our lives right now. We live a life that has overcome the evil one. We live a life that currently is overcoming evil in our life. We have overcome the evil one, and we are currently overcoming at the same time. And so Christ defines you as currently successful, currently a winner. You may feel beat up. You may feel tired. You may feel dirty from the fight right now. But God assures you that you have emerged victorious. And that you are emerging victorious. As I looked at this, we're really, this is really the conclusion of last week's lesson. And I was thinking as I prepared this, I'm, I'm glad I divided this up in two because this, this is a full lesson. <laughs> and yet this is just the conclusion of last week's lesson. But how do we live? We live not according to our feelings, but we live according to God's facts, and Paul stated this beautifully in Romans chapter eight. If you want to you know, look over in verse five where he says we live. And this is the way he states it. It sounds very funny, I guess. You know, if you're just looking at it from the first time, we live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's, a, you know, it's. Unless you've been in church for a while, that's an odd kind of statement. You know, if you were if you were not a Christian, you walked into to this assembly and you hear that for the first time, it's an odd statement. Okay, we live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And in verse five of chapter eight, it's a beautiful section. This whole section here, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature, or according to the flesh, in some translations, have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you were at the marriage retreat a couple of weeks ago, uh, Scott had us, to, had us paraphrase. We had some scriptures and we'd read it and then we'd put it in our own words. We'd paraphrase it, put it in our own words. And you know, if you've been here, that I often do that. And I'm going to do it today also. I paraphrase these, these verses And several people talked about how that helped them to put it in their own words. And that's a really good exercise to read it, think about it and say, well, let me put this into my my own words. Here's here's how I would put that that uh, verse five in my own words. Those who live according to their feelings only think about what they feel. Those who live according to the spirit's facts are focused on how the spirit thinks a mind focused on feelings is death. A mind controlled by the facts is life and peace. And I want us to look at this because I think it's, it's pertinent to our society today. The Spirit says through John that we are overcomers. That's a fact. He says we are overcomers. And it's because of who Jesus is, because of who Jesus is, this is, this is who we are. We are overcomers. And in verse 1, in verse 5 of chapter 5, he says it's, he is the Christ he is the son of God. Last week we looked at that word Christ. It means, it means that he is the prophet. In other words, he tells us God's words. He is the priest. He takes care of our sins. He's the king that leads us in victory that we just sang about in our, in our last song. And through his sacrifice, we've gained victory over the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over us, no longer has dominion over us. And if you will take chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, and it's a beautiful section here, and, it's, and, and it, it has some depth in it. You'll have to read it slowly. You'll have to think about it. You maybe paraphrase it. Read chapter 6, 7, and 8, and it's a powerful, powerful uh, passage that talks about this victory that we have. We have victory over sin, chapter 6. We have victory over the law, chapter 7. We have victory over death. Chapter eight. And that gives you a quick outline. And this is true. If you're in Christ, those of us in in Christ, this is true. It's true because he did it and he tells us it's true. He says, I have gained the victory. And if he says it, he's telling us the truth. And then we believe it. What happens to Christ? Chapter six of Romans says what happened to Christ in his death? You participated in. You as a Christian participated as he overcome, overcame the power of sin and overcame the power of death on the cross. You participated in that at your in your in your baptism. The victory is in Christ faith that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, because I'm anchored in the fact that he is the son of God, that he is he is the Christ. And then I live out that faith based on these facts. Based on what he said, this actual abiding that we have, this relationship makes it possible to overcome sin in our lives right now. And what this does, and John pulls it out over and over, it drives me to be Christ centric, as I have up there. We're overcomers because we're Christ focused. And we've brought this out so many times that I feel like I'm almost, you know, if you say something, too many times people turn it off, and I don't want you to turn this off. This is, this is how we are to live, Christ-centric, Christ-focused. In other words, it's not because of my abilities or my talents or my right living or my moral perfection that I overcome. My overcoming isn't based in what I'm doing, but it's because he overcame sin. He overcame death and I'm joined to him in this living relationship. That's how we overcome. John 15, verse five says, without me, you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing. And then over in Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think of just these two verses and I think, do I believe that? Do I really trust in that? Do I really? is my faith there. Because how I lived often is I can do all things through my talents, which strengthen me. But when it gets too much for me, I pray to God and he'll come and help me. Isn't that how we live our lives often? You know, we we don't even realize we're living counter what the bible says i can do all things through christ would say i can do all things through my own power through my own strength through my own abilities and i'll work really hard i'll do my best and then when i really need help then i'll pray to god and he'll come and help me that's how we often live we live in this realm of feelings this is the temptation for us to live in a realm of feelings and it's a conflict i urge you to avoid uh, we all have feelings Every moment. Right now, some of you are feeling hot, right? Wishing the air would come on. Some of you, strangely, are feeling cold (laughs) and don't want the air to come on. We live with feelings, all right? And so I'm not discounting feelings at all, but we have this temptation to live in this realm of feelings and to be controlled by it. The old uh, saying, uh, I think, therefore, I am one of the philosophers. I can't remember who. I think it's Descartes, but I'm not sure. Uh, I feel, therefore I am, is now the current philosophy. I feel that, and we say it, we all say it, I I feel like this isn't a good thing. Really? Uh, You don't think it's not a good thing? You feel it's good. I just don't feel whatever. And we we talk about this realm of feelings over and over. What drives us? What motivates us? What moves us? On the screen, I just pulled out, you know, feelings. Let's see if I can read these. They're kind of small, aren't they? Sometimes you have to sh- uh, stop thinking so much and just go where your heart takes you. All right. This one really stood out to me. You know the truth by the way it feels. Can you think of a scripture that, that, that would say, that's not true. And yet this is how people live. The- and we just kind of accept these. In our schools and our society and everything, we just say, oh, yeah, we just, this, you know the truth by the way it feels. And there's so many more. Don't think it complicates things. Just feel. And if it feels like home, then follow its path. All those are really deep, like an inch deep. All right? But they sound, they sound, they sound so good. You know, yeah, just follow. And there's so many of these feelings. There's so many of them that people who think, have said, you know, that's that's not right. This us be these well, other. here's one follow your heart and other bad ideas, <laughs> some book or something. I don't know. And this one's more biblical. It says, do not follow your heart. Follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, nine. And then it's another one. It's like follow your heart, but take your brain with you. Um, <laughs> So someone is saying, you know, this follow your heart business doesn't always work the way I, I thought it would, would. And every, almost every Disney movie, you need to use movies to teach your kids the truth. I, I did that growing up with my kids. We'd go to movies and I'd sit down afterwards and say, do you know what that movie was trying to teach you? Do you know what it was, it was trying to tell you? And Disney is really good at following your hearts. You know, they always follow their hearts. And uh, it always turns out wonderful in the end. Of course, if they follow their hearts, it's not good. Bad things happen, and they keep falling their hearts, and good things happen. But that's the message of Disney. And I'm saying, is that the message of God? That's what we really need to look at. What drives us? Many relationships are in tatters because we let our feelings dictate what we do rather than the Spirit's guidance. I'm weekly involved in working with people, uh, one-to-one basis, uh marriages, Finances, work, a lot of different things, and often feelings are the very things that are tearing up these relationships. We ignore the word of God. We listen to our hearts. Our hearts deceive us. And so I want to say, how do, you, how do you leave that realm of feelings? Because we are so uh, immersed in it, in our culture, in, in our bodies. What we do is built on a foundation of reliance in Christ. If we learn how to build our foundation on our reliance in Christ, we'll learn how to leave feelings behind. Reliance on Christ is not only learning what to think, but how to think. If, if you've been here a short time, you know one of my things, undergirding things, is Christians learn... Anyone know? How? I guess I need to say it over and over. Christians learn how to think. All right? That's, that's fundamental. We are learning how to think. The scriptures is full of that. Learning how to think. Learning what to think. And out of this right thinking comes right actions. One of my techniques, Julie and I, in our techniques in our marriage counseling, in our premarital counseling, we say learn to act. Rather than react, you know, often we react to a situation, a feeling hits us. We don't feel good. We think someone said something. We react to that, that statement. And usually the reaction is a wrong action. Learn how to act. And the only way you can learn how to act is learn how to think. And I'm not talking about cold logic. I'm not talking about a stoic, you know, unemotional life. But it's learning how to think the way God wants us to think. And so as we think, we learn how to think compassionately. That's feelings. We learn how to think in kindness and act in kindness. And on and on we can go because the Bible instructs us, this is how you do it. This is how you live your life. This is how you treat other people. The realization that Christ is with us, that Christ is abiding in us, will stop us from sinning. You can't sin when you know he lives in you. The, the, when you sin, you have momentarily, very quickly sometimes, pushed God aside. You, for a moment, it might be half a second, but for that moment, you have forgotten that God lives in you. When I sin, when you sin, that's what we do. And so what the Bible t- tells us is the flesh reacts instead of letting the spirit act. How do I do that? The Bible tells us by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is how you find out what God's good and perfect will is. God's good and perfect will tells you how to treat others, how to live your lives, how to not sin. And how do you do that? By renewing your mind. How do you renew your mind? You have to stay in God's word. You have to keep reading it and studying it. You know, I know what I should do. And I know what I shouldn't do. But... I don't live out my life the way I know I should live. You know, we get to, we get this frustration. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Romans chapter seven, verse 25. Paul went through this. I know what is right. And my spirit tells me this is the right thing to do. And I want to do the right thing and I can't do it. And guess what? If you ever get to that point where you realize that you can't do it, you have arrived at the right place. Because the scripture then says, but thanks be to God who gives us that victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. And so this drives us again to a Christ-centered life, a Christ-focused life. When you feel like you can do it, when you feel like you can do it, your feelings are all wrong. When you, when you think and you realize that I cannot Live my life the way God wants me to live it. And so I have to be driven to him. I have to rely on him. I have to rest in him. That's exactly where God wants you. We live in faith in Christ who gives us the power. You know, this word faith, Julia likes to write notes. And she writes these neat notes that she sticks all over our house. And sometimes it's, it's you know, uh, you know husbands love your wife says no i'm kidding. she's never actually done that one one day she might but she'll put up these scriptures and she put up the amplify she's been reading the amplified bible and she wrote this one It's stuck on on the on the uh, in the kitchen and i said oh you know that i'm I, this is what i'm studying about right now i'm going to use this It's the amplified bible's definition of faith you know, we say faith and it's like this abstract what does faith mean This is what what the Amplified Bible says. Leaning your whole personality on him in complete trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. That's faith. Now, that's a statement you have to think about. You have to think about it. Leaning, and my paraphrases, I often will use the word, leaning heavily on him. In other words, you just take every part of you, your whole personality, and you say, I'm going to completely trust in him. I'm going to be confident that His power will get me through this. His wisdom. He knows things that I don't know when I think, well, the world isn't working out the way I think it should work out. It's his wisdom. I lean on his wisdom because he knows what's best and he's good. God is good. This is why law keeping can't help us make a law. People will break it. Make your own personal laws. You can't keep them. It's Christ living through you and in you that works out of you that makes the difference. It's Christ centric life. That John continuously brings us back to, which means instead of living in the realm of feelings, we live in the heavenly realms. Um, the only place you use, hear that word heavenly realms is in uh, Ephesians, I think three, maybe four times. He says we live in the heavenly realms. That's an amen. Thank you. Um, we living in that we currently live in the heavenly realms. This is how you do it. Faith. It's a choice. And as a choice to do things God's way, this is what faith is: is making a choice, thinking I'm going to do things God's way. I learn how to think. I learn by educating myself, reading the scriptures, being with a body of people, talking about the scriptures to think to, and being corrected sometimes. That's not the way to think. That's not the way to act. This is the way to do it. How do you know? Because the Bible tells you. Look, this is what the scripture says. Faith isn't following your feelings, but it's making a choice that what God said is wise and it's good. And so when I read in the scripture, I say, that's wisdom and that's good. Even though my feelings are telling me to go a different direction, the facts are telling me this is how I'm to act. John said it this way. We obey his commands or we keep his commands. And I've explained several times that what that word means is we guard his commands. We treasure his commands. We we desire his commands And so as we read his commands in the scriptures, as we read what he has to say, we say, that's valuable. That's treasure. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to guard that in my heart. Peter made a faith decision. And I love this picture that's going to come up. You know, our artists will paint different pictures of Jesus walking on the water. And you see Rembrandt's and it's a beautiful picture. I've seen that one and it's, it's gorgeous. But this one is like. A modern-day person, if he were telling the story, and I I was thinking, you know, if Jesus came in the 21st century instead of the 1st century, maybe he'd be in Hawaii walking on the water. I know that's not the Sea of Galilee. I know that's not the boat that they used. But this is an artist's rendition of Peter walking on the water. Not Peter. That's Jesus walking on the water. Peter's already in the water. (laughs) But, you know, I'm thinking about Peter. I, I love this story about him. If you remember Matthew chapter 14, he, he's sitting there in the boat. It's a terrible storm. The water's coming in. they feel like they're going to the sink and, and they see Jesus coming toward them. They think it's a ghost. And they say, oh, they're, they're in fear, say it's a ghost. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. A wonderful thing that Jesus says over and over. Don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter sticks his foot in his mouth and says, well, if it's you, let me call out and let me come to you. And he says, come on. <laughs> and, you know, I wonder what Peter, if Peter got excited or he's like, oh, my, uh, what did I just say? And I imagine the other 11 looking at him like, all right,
1: <laughs>
0: go ahead. And he goes out. But he made, this. This is the wonderful thing about Peter. He made a faith choice. He believed that was Jesus. And when Jesus said, come, everything about him said, don't do it. But Jesus said, do it. So he got out of the boat and he walked on the water. And there's only two people that's ever walked on the water in history, Jesus and Peter. The other 11 never walked on the water. Peter's walking on the water, and suddenly his feelings failed him. It says he saw the wind. That's just senses. And he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he called out to Jesus, and Jesus comes to him, and he pulls him up, and he says, Oh, you... Of little faith. And that was our that's where our problem is. We let our feelings take over us instead of our faith. God calls us, live by your faith, not by those feelings. What is faith? It's a realization of my weakness and his strength, my limitations and his power, my finiteness and in his infiniteness. That's actually a word. My lack of faith. And his faithfulness. That's what faith is. It's a realization. I can't walk on this water. Whatever your problem is today. Whatever struggle. You can't do it. You can't conquer. But he can through you. It's his strength. Not your strength. It's his power. Not your power. Faith means. Means. As I rely on him, I'm at the same time active. Peter actually did something. He got out of the boat. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, work out your own salvation. I think many times people misunderstand that passage where he says, work out your own salvation. He's not saying work out how you're going to be saved. God already worked that out, right? God already worked out how he's saying, work out this thing called salvation. You have salvation that's happening in your life. It's not a one time event. You're living out your salvation now. So work it out. Live it out. Figure out what you're supposed to be doing here. And he makes that clear when he uh, continues in that in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purposes. It's God doing the work in you. You're working it out. You're figuring it out. But God is working in you to will, to do. And you're just putting it into practice. You're trying to figure out what does it mean. Uh, Trevor Clark and I are co-teaching um, on Wednesday nights or actually getting a conversation going on Wednesday nights in our class. And what we're trying to do is say, what does it practically mean to live out your stewardship, to live out consumption? What, what's, what does it look like to the Christian? Because the world tells us to be greedy and yet the scripture tells us to give and, and so on. How am I to be a good steward? That's what it means practically to say Jesus is the son of God. What does that mean practically? You live it out. You work it out. You figure it out. You learn how to think. This is the working out of the results of our salvation. We see it how we love one another, how we value one another. The kindness, the gentleness, the patience, the self-control, all that is working out your salvation. Faith in Jesus as the son of God anchors me in reality. It lets me see the true nature of this world. When I am anchored in faith, I can see the world as it really is. You look out at the world and I see sin. It's real. It's not imaginary. It's real in my life. It's real in the world about me and I can't fix it. That's reality. I discovered that I need God to come into this world. We needed God to come into this world. And we believe that he did it through Jesus. Politicians who don't believe in God will often try and fix the problem, fix things, fix sin. Communism is a way of saying, forget about the spiritual, it's materialistic. And they try and fix the world the way the world should be through their political ideology. Part of overcoming the world is recognizing that. This is something we are to overcome. We are to overcome sin in our lives. And how do we do it? We do it through Christ. The world's facade is saying, look, all is well. Everything's good. People are good by nature. Everything's good. Everything's going to be fine. Eat, drink, be merry. And the Christian can look through that facade and see the ugly reality of the earth. We see that only Christ can overcome the problems that we have. And I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ and Christ lives in me he has overcome and so i have overcome it's this living in the world yet not living of it what about sin how do i handle sin how do i handle sins when i fail how do i how do i what do i do when i actually have participated in something i shouldn't do what happens we get despondent we get, go into despair Uh, Satan attacks us and he says, listen, you haven't overcome, have you? You haven't. You know, the Bible says you've overcome, but you haven't overcome. You aren't really victorious, are you? And we agree. We put our heads in our hands. We despair over it. We're despondent. Where's our focus? On me. Focus is on me. Look at all those self-centered statements. You haven't overcome, have you? You aren't victorious, are you? And John has tried over and over to help us realize this is the weakness that we have. Each of us have this weakness to try and do things under our own power, to try hard not to sin. And he keeps on refocusing, refocusing us and saying, the answer is in Christ, not in your abilities. We live in this world. It's racked, up, full of sin. We're not of it, though. We no longer think like the world thinks. What do we do when we sin? Go back to chapter 1, verse 9. It says if we confess our sins, if we, this word means to agree with, to agree with, with God. If we agree with Christ, if we say the same thing that God says about our sins, if we confess it, he takes care of it. It's not just saying coming out and say oh i have sinned this week i did this i did that you know that's how we normally think of confession this is biblically it means whatever god says about sins i agree with him whatever god says about my sins i agree with him now what does he say we have to determine who we're going to agree with satan or christ satan says you sin and you fail so give up that's the message of satan Do you agree with him? Do you confess? Is that your good confession? Or should I say the black confession of Satan? I sinned. I failed. I just give up. It's no use. I can't keep on going like this. That's the good confession or the bad confession of Satan. There's nothing I can do. I can't overcome. It's self-centered idolatry is what that is. The confession of Christ is I say the same thing about my sin that Christ says I am weak but I rest in your strength. I sin, but you wash away my sin. I am unfaithful, but you are faithful. As our confession, we have an advocate with the Father. We have one who speaks on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you remember where that is? First John, yeah. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 1. We learn how not to sin. And when we do, we rely on Him. When that happens, if you ever grasp that, despair will disappear. If you are in despair, you're not thinking right. If you're a if you're a Christian in despair, you're not thinking right, because God has said, "Listen, I have taken care of your sins." Do you believe Him? That's the real. That's really the question. And if you're in despair, basically you're saying, "I don't believe Him." I don't believe the blood of Jesus can actually take care of my sin. If you ever grab onto this, joy will arrive in your life. A Christ-centered focus will be in your life. It'll be a victorious life. Chapter 5, verse 4 of 1 John. Let me get back over to 1 John. He says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Do I have that on here? Yeah. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Back in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Do we believe that? Victory. It takes our faith to believe the victory has already taken place. We have overcome the world. He came to destroy the devil's work. Has he done it or has he not? And if he has, then live it out. Live out that victory. And... Verse four, verse four of chapter five. Many of your translations says everyone, but the word there is actually everything. Everything born of God, and it includes everyone, but it includes more than that. Is God working out everything in history? Is everything that God did from the beginning, from from the first sin until the working out of what God did throughout history, so that we have this ultimate, finally, the ultimate overcoming? John sixteen verse thirty three says Jesus. Has over Jesus said he had overcome the world. And it's our faith and union in Jesus, the overcomer, that helps us to overcome. Who has overcome the world? Chapter 5, verse 5, he asks this question. Who has overcome the world? That's a rhetorical question. You know what the answer is? No one. No one has overcome the world except, except, and he tells you who the exception is, only he who believes, that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's the deal. If you don't believe, if, if you are trying to overcome the world by your own power, you'll fail. You cannot not sin in your own power. You cannot undo death in your own power. And the older you get, the more you'll realize it. And you'll come face to face with that one day some of you have come face to face with that and escaped it by the skin of your teeth. And you're just thankful to God that he's, he did that. He gave, you another, he gave you another chance. You can't overcome death by your own power. The answer, no one overcomes the world. Everyone who enters the world is defeated by it, except those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And everything that that means. Let me go ahead and read our paraphrase. And I want to show you a video. It's going to take about three minutes, but it'll be worth it. This is starting in verse one, one through five. Whoever daily leans heavily on the fact that Jesus is the Christ demonstrates that he's born of God. And each one who loves the one who gave him new life overflows in love for everyone who has also experienced new life. This is how we experience and know By that experience that we love our brothers and sisters, we value and love God. And so we value and love what he tells us to do. This is what it means to love or value God. We treasure his words, guarding them and desiring to follow his commands. His commands are not a crushing weight buried down on us. We won't be irked or bothered by them. For everyone born of God is at this very moment in their lives overcoming the world. This is the conquering power, the victorious principle that has completely and successfully overcome the world, our faith. Who could possibly get the upper hand over the powers of the world? The only one who could obtain such a victory is the one who leans with his whole being and trust on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Last week I told you a story. I said I believe it was the 1972 Olympics. And I didn't know the man's name, but I do now. His name was John Stephen Akwari from Tanzania. And I told you the story, but it was actually the 1968 Olympics. I was too young to remember that. I was overseas at the time, living in Fiji. But in 72, this story was so amazing that they replayed it. And that's where I remembered it from. The story of John John Stephen Akwari, who injured himself early in the race. Fell heavily on the shoulder, cut his leg up, and, and his knee is out of joint as you see this. Uh, listen to, to this video and An inspiring story of sports, but I want to apply that to us spiritually. He was the last. He came in last in that race, not first. He had hurt himself, he was beat up, but he came in, and, and what he said was very um, telling. He said, "My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, but 5,000 miles to finish the race." And that's what God calls us to do. God is not calling us to be at the front of the line. Some of us just can't do it. We've done too much. We've, we've, we've done too much. We've, we've messed up too badly. To be that victorious runner that comes in first. I already know who came in first. And that was Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's already there. and he. But coming in last, beat up, tired, worn out, beat up by the world, by sin. God says, that's okay. I didn't call you to come in first. I called you to finish the race. That's what Paul said, didn't he? I finished the race, finished the fight. Paul was ready to go home. He said, I'm ready to go home. And so as you come in as a Christian this morning, if you feel beat up and worn out and tired, welcome to the group. We're all there. Sometimes we just wish the race was over. But he says, keep on going. I will be with you always to the very end of the race. And if you're outside of Christ... I have nothing to give you except Christ. That's it. He's the only one. He's the only thing I can give you because he's run the race for you. And he says, now join me. Be a part of this. And just be faithful to the end. Just keep on going. Even on a broken leg, you can do it. Dislocate a knee. If you're outside of Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to become a Christian today. Last week, we saw Grace. She made that decision. She's, she's a young, young lady, but she said, I'm ready to, be, I'm ready to follow Christ she's got a long ways to go, doesn't she? She lives as long as her dad. (laughs) And some of us older ones, it's a long race to go. Keep going, Grace. Don't, Don't give up. Some of you younger ones are still in the very first part of your race. Some of us older ones are getting near the end. We can see the finish line. That's good. We're looking forward to the race being over. Just keep on going. Hobble on in. Christ is with you. If you're outside of Christ,